0: NFL week 11 kicks off tonight with the Packers trying to get back into the NFC playoff mix as they host the Titans two big games on Saturday that could determine how the college football playoffs shapes up road warriors. They're not as golden state loses away from home yet again and spoil a Steph Curry 50 point effort in the process. Justin Verlander not only wins another world series ring, but takes home a third Cy Young as he awaits a last huge payday as he'll likely leave Houston for greener pastures. See what I did there. And the World Cup begins on Sunday. I'll preview the event that many in the world have been looking forward to for more than four years. If sports is what you love, crave, and looking for, then hop along as I take you through the entire landscape. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please, throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy Most about the J Reels Podcast So with that being said Let's hit it The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 Let's get this sports podcast party started, alright? The J Reels Podcast Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December But what really counts is let me see this in January Sports Rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as the countdown to Thanksgiving is on. And we're a week away from the holiday season. I'm more than grateful and thankful that you stopped by to get your fill on all that's happening in the world of sports. As this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. There's quite a bit to get to here on this midweek podcast, and we'll kick off with a week 11 schedule that starts tonight in Lambeau Field, where the Tennessee Titans will invade Wisconsin and the Green Bay area to see how they would stack up against a Packer team that pretty much saved their season on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. And it's interesting to have the Packers in primetime Thursday night, and for a lot of people out there that are wondering or thinking that they have a run in them, and we're gonna take a look at their schedule. We're going to get into a little bit of a crystal ball here because as I mentioned a week or so ago, when we talked about the second half of the NFL season, and of course the what we thought were the heavyweights of the conference, and it being very top heavy, if you're in Green Bay, Tampa Bay, or LA, the Rams that is, and how it's constituted now as we get into the eleventh week where the Rams are just about out to see if they're not already put out the pasture for the 2022 NFL season. The Buccaneers, because of a bad division in the NFC South, chances are they're going to win the division. I'm not going to say going away. I'm sure Atlanta's going to hang around. Who knows if New Orleans or Carolina, huh, dare I even say that they have a run in them, which I don't think so at this present moment. So you figure Tampa is going to make it home free, how far they go in January, looks like it's going to be a long shot for them to try to even get back to a deep playoff run, but they seem to be in decent shape, and then you have the Packers, where after everything that's happened over the last couple of years, them losing an NFC Championship game at home to Tampa Bay two years ago, a terrible division loss against the 49ers in their building last year, And now you would think it's pretty much going to be a playoff run starting tonight, because even after trying to celebrate that game down 28-14 to come back against that Cowboy defense and finally snap a long losing streak, they've had 96 hours to either celebrate, look at film, get prepared for a short week and a Thursday night Amazon Prime game, and You would have to think that the Packers should be in good shape to win this game tonight because the Titans, they have three defensive starters out, really two and a backup. They have their center out, a kicker in Randy Bullock, who's not going to be in a lineup to where you have, I believe, the old journeyman kicker, Josh Lambeau, how appropriate, Lambeau kicking in Lambeau for the Titans. So you would think that the Packers could look at this game, even with not a lot of rest, and recovery, to have the game in their building, and know that they'll have a mini buy if they could come away with a victory tonight, to prepare for a Sunday night matchup in Philadelphia, which obviously is down the road, but if you're a Packer fan, and if you're a member of that team, organization, coaching staff, etc., I'm sure you're probably thinking, let's get this game tonight. The Titans, by any means, are not world beaters, they're not a team that's going to come out like gangbusters on the offensive side of the ball, unless Derrick Henry does happen to get 220 rushing yards, the time of possession falls in favor of the Titans, because as we all know, the Packers have a lot more offensive firepower, and that's even what they currently have. And I get it, Christian Watson had a breakout game, and we know about Aaron Jones, and some of the other players that are looking to get their footing, even a guy like Alan Lazard, who's been there a couple of years, but certainly not established as a prime receiver in that particular offensive set. And for the Packers to now get themselves a little bit closer to 500, to get themselves in a position where they're not going to win a division, but we all know if they could get in as a six or seven seed in the NFC, anything goes. And who knows, maybe this is the type of year that the Packers needed, considering that in years past they had number one seeds They had top records in the conference, they've had buys, and what has happened in those instances, they either lost in the division round, as we saw last year, or even a decade ago to the Giants when they were 15-1, and that's when the Giants went to the Super Bowl and beat the Patriots the second time, or them having to have the opportunity to have a buy, host playoff games, and then it just goes up in smoke, and think about this, the one postseason run that the Packers had that made it to a Super Bowl and won was in 2010. And a lot of people forget there were a six seed that year where they won all their games on the road. The first one being in Philadelphia, the second one in Atlanta before winning in Soldier Field against the Bears before beating the Steelers in Super Bowl 45. A lot of people kind of forget that. They look at Aaron Rodgers winning that one and only Super Bowl, but that was a year where they were not a one seed or even a two seed. So who knows? Maybe it has to be this road that the Packers are going to have to take. For them to not only get to the postseason, but if they have any opportunity to make a long run in January and into February, maybe this is the trajectory that they have to go. Now, it's going to be a long shot because they're pretty much going to have to run the table from now to the end of the season to make it into the postseason. Now, I get it. Maybe 10 wins get you into the tournament. And mind you, they're currently at four and six. So that means they only have one game of error or margin of error that they have is just the one game. From now until the end of the season. And they still have seven more games to play. But as we take a look at the schedule. We talked about them. Going to Philadelphia on a Sunday night. After this game. Against the Titans. Then they got to go to Chicago. To play the Bears. Which is not going to be an easy game. We talked about it. Ad nauseum. Where division games. Especially on the road. Are not easy. Look what happened to. Green Bay in Detroit a couple weeks ago. So even after they play. The Eagles on a Sunday night, and then the Bears at Soldier Field, they have a bye, which would come at probably the most opportune time for this Packer team. Because let's just say for argument's sake, they win the night, and if you want to throw in that one game that they could actually lose, okay, we'll give you the game against the Eagles where they'll lose, but the following week at Soldier Field, if they were to win that and get themselves to six and seven... Their last four games, home against the Rams, which they could beat, at Miami, which is going to be a tricky game, no ifs, ands, buts about it, then they host their last two games at home in the division, Minnesota, Detroit, now Minnesota's going to have something to play for, and you know the Packers are going to be fired up to play that game, especially if they go into that game against the Vikings with an opportunity to maybe not control their own destiny at that time. It also depends on what the teams ahead of them are going to do. But if they are in the mix, if they could kind of see the finish line and know that they had those two games, that they can't just overlook those two teams in a division. But let's just say that their record is at that time, doing the math off the top of my head, if they're six and seven going into the bye and they win those two games, they'll be eight and seven. So if they're eight and seven, and who knows what else is going to happen in the conference to where the Packers are going to be, let's say, flirting with a 7 or 8 seed at that time. You know it's going to be all systems go, knowing that they have the last two games in their building. And if they do happen to control destiny in their hands, they are going to do whatever it takes to get themselves into the playoffs. So that is one theme that we could look at here with this game tonight. I would think they'll win against the Titans Again, the Titans are not an offensive juggernaut. And if they don't dominate the time of possession, I would think the Packers win the game. Now, mind you, they could have a four-turnover game. Who knows what's going to happen with the special teams? Of course, you can't predict that. But I would think the Packers should be able to win this game knowing that even after a short break and not really being able to celebrate the win over Dallas, they know that if they can win this game and go into this mini-bye, that they can exhale, they can... Rest, recover, they'll have Thanksgiving next week, and then focus in on the Eagles next Sunday night. Do I think they're going to make this run? I don't know if they're going to have it in them. This team was losers of five straight heading into the game against Dallas on Sunday. Now all of a sudden they're going to peel off five of their next six games or run the table, so to speak. I don't think it's going to happen. But I would not be surprised if, if they go into the bye at 6-7 and seven on the fringe and then beat the Rams to get to 500, Miami, that's going to be a toss-up. Miami's going to need the game, as we all know, and to me, that's going to be the one game a lot of people are going to look at because you would expect them to lose to Philadelphia in Philly. But for that game on Christmas Day in Miami, that could be the Packers season right there. And if they get out of that with the final two games at home, It's a coin flip. So that's where it's going to be fascinating. I think that the Packers, if they are going to make it in, I think that that's the road that they're going to have to take. They either have to lose to Philly or Miami. One of the two, they can't lose both because I don't know if nine and eight is going to get you into the postseason in the NFC. So that's why I figured if they're going to have the one slip up, they could probably do it in Philly or Miami, but they got to win one of those two games. And then let's see where the chips fall, especially after the Christmas Day game because we'll have a better idea and understanding of where the Packers season will be at that time. So that's what you got there to kick us off for a Week 11 Thursday night and finally a decent game for Amazon Prime and for the country to see because what we've seen here over the last few weeks, Philly at Houston, Atlanta, Carolina, I mean, these are just eyesores of games. So when we look at the schedule for this coming Sunday, not too impressive when we... Take a big look at it. I know in a few weeks, I believe December 4th, that is going to be, I'll go as far as saying an epic day considering what has transpired here over the first 10 weeks of the season. But your highlight games of this weekend, your 425 game, now remember, was flexed out because Cincinnati-Pittsburgh was your Sunday night game originally, but they moved the Kansas City-Chief-LA Charger game to the Sunday night game for NBC. So, your 425 window is Dallas at Minnesota, which is an excellent game. And let's see if the Cowboys bounce back after what happened at Lambeau there this past Sunday. But Cincinnati-Pittsburgh is also your 425 game. I would think that the country is going to see mostly Dallas-Minnesota. You have Vegas at Denver's, your other 4 o'clock game. So, only three 4 o'clock games where the four buys you have this week are Miami, Seattle, Tampa, and Jacksonville. So, three of the four teams that are sitting out this week are actually good teams. So you're not going to be able to see them play this coming weekend. But besides that, are the Jets and Patriots a watchworthy game? I guess. Only because the Jets coming off a of bye and let's see if they could exact some revenge or what happened at MetLife a few weeks ago. Other than that, you have slim Pickens. people. I'm sorry to say. Chicago at Atlanta, Cleveland at Buffalo, Philly at Indy. Maybe with Jeff Saturday and what happened there last week at the Desert. Maybe there's a little juice for that game, but again, are you going to run to the set to watch Eagles-Colts? I don't think so. Rams at New Orleans, Detroit at the Giants, Carolina at Baltimore, Washington at Houston, just rough games, no matter how you cut it. And the Monday night game, although it's in Mexico, but it's San Francisco at Arizona. So the only games you could really look at would be Dallas-Minnesota, your 425 window, 1 o'clock, I'd have to say Jets-Patriots, as crazy as that may sound. Because Philly-Indianapolis is not tickled my fancy, to say the least. Cleveland-Buffalo, I don't want to hear it. And now you have Deshaun Watson. He's back in the building, so he's practicing as he gets ready for his December 4th season debut and Cleveland Brown debut. And it's funny, I mentioned about those games on December 4th. And you know what? I'll take a peek at that right now before I move to college football. The... Games on December 4th, where you have Cleveland going to Houston. Now, I understand that's an under-the-radar game. A lot of people aren't going to pay attention to that because it has no playoff implications whatsoever, but because it's Deshaun Watson's first game in almost two years, and it's against his former team in Houston, I guess that's the precursor to what lies ahead, and it's interesting because the Thursday night matchup heading into that December 4th weekend is Buffalo New England. And that's going to be the first of two matchups between those two teams. So if that's going to kickstart what leads to be a good weekend in the sport that Sunday, then that's pretty good. You have Jets at Minnesota, Washington at the Giants, which for right now, that looks like a decent game. It's not a great game, but the Washington football team has put themselves in good stead after what took place there on Monday. And the Eagles, of course, 8-0 going into the game but they end up losing and the commanders were able to eat a lot of the clock 12 for 21 on third down where they got a lot of first downs on the ground and a lot of turnovers there by the Philadelphia Eagle offense, which we had not seen pretty much throughout the first 10 weeks of the season was the recipe for them losing their first game And the 72 Dolphins, whether up in the heavens or here on planet earth have been celebrating. And of course, toast, to the 50th anniversary of that Dolphin team, who was perfect, 17-0, as we all know. Tennessee at Philadelphia, decent game. Miami at San Francisco, good game. Kansas City at Cincinnati, your Sunday night game, I don't know if that's going to get flexed out. Indianapolis at Dallas, ugh. they probably won't flex out of that because Dallas, as we all know, huge market, and they are the Cowboys. But that's a week. What else? Did I miss any other games? Green Bay at Chicago. Obviously, we talked about the Packers just a few minutes ago. So, that's going to be a big game for them. Especially if they lose to the Eagles there Sunday night. So, this is a decent slate of games. Not epic. Not fantastic. But it's epic in the grand scheme of things when we look at the way the schedule has unfolded this year. So, that's what we have in the NFL for week 11. And I even looked a little bit beyond there. Of course, with Thanksgiving, a week from today, we have the three games, Buffalo, Detroit, Giants at Dallas, which right now is looking like a very good game. And then the nightcap is New England at Minnesota. All right, not too bad. So we have that to look forward to here between tonight, this coming Sunday, and then obviously next Thursday. But as I turn my attention to the college football scenario and what we have here, not much to sneeze at when we look at the games. Obviously, the week after, you're going to have USC, Notre Dame, you're going to have, obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, which we'll talk about there next week. But when we look at the college football landscape, and when we mention USC, they're one of the two big games that we're going to have to look at come Saturday. And USC, UCLA is the ABC 730 game, which you know, Chip Kelly and the Bruins, they're going to throw everything and the kitchen sink at the Trojans. Because with UCLA losing at home to Arizona this past week, I don't know if that was a trap game for them. Did they overlook the Wildcats knowing that the Trojans were ahead of them on the schedule? It's quite possible. But now with USC coming to play against the Bruins with the Trojans looking ahead to see if they could get themselves a part of the college football playoff mix. And if the Bruins were to do whatever, they can, to upset the apple cart, to throw a few wrinkles, to do whatever they can to torpedo their hopes, you know that this is going to be pretty much their national championship because the Bruins aren't going to be a part of that mix, not a part of the discussion when it comes to the Final Four come New Year's Eve. So you would think what Chip Kelly is telling his team, his players right now, is that this is it. This is our bowl game before the bowl game. And whatever we could do to upset that, this is the plan. And let's see what Lincoln Riley is going to be able to come up with. This is a big game for USC, as we know, and for that program. Because even with Notre Dame the following week, and I believe that game is at USC. Yes, it is. Because usually the games against Notre Dame take place in October. And Notre Dame, you know, they're going to do whatever it takes to try to thwart their chances to get to a possible College Football Final Four. But that's going to be the one game that USC is going to look at here to think that if they could somehow, some way, beat the Bruins, not to say it's going to be smooth sailing from then on out, because again, they do have Notre Dame and then the Pac-12 title. But you would think that if USC has any chance, this is the one game that they have to get past. And that's not to say that Notre Dame is not going to be able to do so or whomever they play in the Pac-12 championship. But we all know this is going to be a big game. It's a rivalry game. It's a game that I'm sure Chip Kelly is going to be chumming at the bit only because of what took place last week, losing to Arizona. So I'm sure all their focus and attention is going to be on trying to upset the Trojans and really put a damper on their college football season. So that's the first game. The second game is TCU as they go to Baylor. That's at 12 noon. And as we've seen with TCU, the spotlight is on them because a lot of people think that they're probably going to stub their toe, whether it's here, next week at home against Iowa State, and then they have the Big 12 championship. Baylor, they have a very good offense. They could put up points, but I don't know what happened to them last week because as much as they've been able to put up some points on the board against the Oklahoma States of the world, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, etc., for whatever the reason, at home against Kansas State, they only put up a field goal. So who knows which Baylor team you're going to get. Now, again, it's in their building, and who knows. I'm not going to say that they even overlooked Kansas State because they're a top-ranked team in the nation because they wanted to do whatever it takes to try to slow down this Horn Frog train. But the Baylor team, you're not going to know what to expect here. I'm sure they're going to be primed and ready to go to do whatever they could possibly do to upset TCU and certainly throttle their attempt to try to make it to the... College football playoff. But with TCU, one thing that I heard in an interview with the coach, Sonny Dykes, is that the team is not talking about any national championships. They're not talking about Final Fours. They're not talking about even the college football playoff. They're just going ahead one week at a time, making sure that they are focused, disciplined, and not look ahead or not try to read the press clippings to think that this team is is going to be, as I said, last year's Cincinnati team that made it to the Final Four. They're certainly not looking that far ahead. They're only looking at what's in front of them. And that is a good tack to take because for a team that has been under the radar up until the last couple of weeks, once the polls and the rankings have come out, and I'm sure, as I've said before, whether you're LSU, whether you're Tennessee, or even USC that thinks that they belong because of their strength of schedule, because of their reputation, et cetera. Of course, TCU is saying, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to be the team that's going to represent, hopefully, if they're able to beat Baylor here, of course, beat Iowa State the next week, and then winning the Big 12 championship, there's going to be no dispute. And then we're going to have to look forward to next week where we have Ohio State and Michigan. One of those two teams are going to lose and be on the outside looking in. And we'll take a better look at the college football playoff next week. I could talk about all the different permutations, What would happen if Ohio State loses or Michigan loses or even TCU loses? Does that mean LSU, if they beat Georgia in a national, not a national championship, I'm getting way too ahead of myself, but if they win in the SEC championship, do they automatically make it into the college football final four, knowing that Tennessee drubbed them in their building and LSU has two losses? A lot of this speculation, which is good for sports talk banter, and this is why you're here and I get it. But I want to see what's going to happen after next week because that's going to be a true telltale sign to me because once we get past this week to see what's going to happen with USC and even TCU for that matter because who knows if Baylor's is going to put up 45 points on TCU and then on top of that after next Saturday how the college football landscape is going to look when it comes to Ohio State, Michigan even LSU, Tennessee for that matter. At that point, we could really take a lay of the land and see where this could all shape up at that point. Right now, although with all these different combinations and we could speculate all we want, but until we get past next week, I think the picture will be a lot clearer. And who knows, maybe even after this week, it could be clearer depending on what Baylor does and what UCLA does as... I mentioned those are the two top games this weekend that everybody should pay attention to when it comes to college football. Other than that, there isn't anything else to really look at. I know Georgia goes to Kentucky. Can Kentucky pull a rabbit out of their hat? I don't think so. Some of these other games that we can look at to maybe even see if there's going to be a possibility that a team's going to move up or slide down a little bit. It's all going to bank on TCU and LSU, at least for me, right this very minute. So let's see where we get to come Monday when we reconvene, assess, and then we'll have a better, a little bit of a better understanding of how the college football playoff will look and even much better, obviously, the week after when we have the big showdown in Columbus between the Buckeyes and Wolverines. So from the gridiron, let's go to the hardwood as I lace up the high tops to discuss what's happening in the NBA. And the first thing that comes to mind, and I've touched on it a little bit here over the last couple of weeks. But now you have to wonder that there's a little bit of concern there by the Bay with the Golden State Warriors because based on what we've seen here so far this season and we could harken back to what took place during training camp, the fist of cuffs between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, which is really the punch heard around the world and seen heard around the world, where we thought even then, you wonder if there was going to be a little bit of tension, you wonder if there was going to be a little bit of even separation and the reason why I say that is because you have a team where there's a great mix you have the KG veterans that have been there pretty much since the beginning of this run and we know who the names are but then you have the younger part of this team whether your name is Jordan Poole whether your name is Jonathan Kaminga whether your name is even James Wiseman who I understand was not in the lineup at all last year as he was recovering from from, I believe, a foot injury, but for this team, Moses Moody, you even want to throw in Andrew Wiggins. I get it, he's an NBA veteran, but he's not part of the Steph, Clay, Draymond mix. So when you have a little bit of separation, and I'm sure the younger guys were probably rallying around Jordan Poole to say, hey, it's all right, Draymond shouldn't have done that, and I'm not trying to report and have no inside information on, On whether there is dissension in the locker room. But just based on some of the post-game comments from last night's loss in Phoenix. To where now the team is 6-9. 0-8 on the road. Where the team is now starting to see if they could find themselves. Because before you know it, it's going to get late early when it comes to the NBA season. I understand it's 15 games. I get it, you're not even close to a quarter of the season in, which would be in another five games. But a quarter soon becomes a third, and then it becomes a half, and then the next thing you know, you're going upstream without a paddle, and you're trying to get yourselves on track to where you have 41 games to make up for the first 41 games that you weren't able to get out of the hole. And the reason why I say that is because a lot of the comments that we've heard here, especially last night, is that there's no collective grit, that there seems to be a disconnect where, and I'm just going to quote Steph Curry from what he said, forget the road record. We can't find a sustainable period of success where habits start to form. And we're in a position where we're coming off the court, feeling good about ourselves. What does that mean? Where habits start to form. You got to wonder, are the young guys now with a little fat cat success, Jordan Poole getting his big contract, even Andrew Wiggins getting his big time contract here in the offseason and knowing that Draymond Green, who's going to be a free agent after this year, is he already looking ahead to maybe getting a big payday, whether it's with Golden State or not. And we know Golden State is well above the luxury tax as it is. These are some of the things that are going to be in play here and that I actually thought, fight or no fight, but I thought that the fight heightened a little bit of maybe... I could say disconnect but I'll go as far as saying to put it nicely a lack of cohesion because what happened last year is already over and done with the ring ceremony the banner raised to the rafters teams aren't going to lie down and roll over to think that just because you're the champions especially to the younger guys I'm not talking about the guys who have already won four rings on that team. But maybe for the younger guys, and just based on that quote by Steph Curry, it makes you wonder whether or not that the guys are fully on board here. And even Steve Kerr saying that it's a pickup game out there. And that's a quote. No execution at either end. No certain commitment to the group to get three stops in a row and then execute on offense. When you look at the state of this team at the moment, it's pretty much scattered. I'm sure players are just not buying in or have their sights set on something else or maybe they buy in at times or who knows, whatever it is. And that's why I think, although it's great to have that type of chemistry where you have the savvy seasoned veterans and then the youth that brings in to kind of infuse that would certainly work well together, but for whatever the reason, and I don't want to attribute 100% to the fight, but you have to wonder if there's some sections in that locker room that look at the younger guys thinking that, oh, we could just flick on the switch whenever we want. Oh, we'll be fine. Oh, we'll be okay. And then you have the veterans that think, no young bloods you got to be on board from day one because this is a process. This isn't a thing where we could just flick the switch and run off eight in a row or start getting some road wins under our belt. This team has not won a road game at all and we're more than one month into the season. So for Golden State, I'm not trying to look at this as a make or break time of the season. There's still some time here. They're only 15 games in. But like I mentioned, 15 becomes 20, 20 becomes 30, 30, then you're halfway through the season. And let's say if you're even 21 and 20, and maybe somewhere at the bottom of the 7 through 10 rung in the Western Conference, it's going to be tough sledding for them to try to get to 5, 6, even 4 for that matter. So, someone we have to pay attention to, especially with this team, because they won a title, and they have not gotten out of their early season funk. Will this continue? Or will they finally make a turn here to put themselves in a position to where they could get their season on track? I know the Knicks go to Golden State tomorrow. So, let's see. With them being at home, and the Knicks have actually played well here. They've won two road games. They won last night in Denver. So if the Knicks could continue to play well and put some pressure on Golden State to where maybe they turn 6-10 who knows but let's see if Golden State is going to shape up here because they're going to have to do so soon if they want to I'm not going to say salvage their season but certainly turn their season around and put themselves in better footing the other thing right now with the NBA I get it let's go down this road real quick Kyrie Irving Looks like he's going to return come Sunday at home against the Memphis Grizzlies. They're currently on a West Coast swing to where they play in Portland tonight before coming home to play John Morant and the Memphis team. But for Kyrie, we all know the whole story. The one thing I'm surprised is that this has gone on a little bit longer than what was expected. Five game suspension. But I guess they're just trying to dot eyes and cross T's to make sure that Kyrie is on board with what's going on there with the organization and some of the people that he's met along the way whether it's the people from the ADL the Anti-Defamation League and some other groups that are out there to mend fences to go through the whole damage control process now what the Nets should have done is that yes there is a five game suspension but we don't know when he's going to return I'm sure there's a lot of people out there wondering it's like wait a minute if he served his time how come he's not playing Well, whatever damage control, as I mentioned, that they're doing, I guess they vetted out everything. They made sure that everything is on point and on track for this net team to welcome back Kyrie into the mix. A little bit too much, if you ask me. Now, listen, did he deserve the suspension? You could debate about that. I felt that with everything that's gone on, with the post, etc., it was deserving. If they said five games, five games. Now it's become seven games, I believe, into eight games that's when you have to say, all right, what the hell's going on here? But, obviously it's not my call. I'm not the owner of the team. And if this is what they've worked out here over the course of the last eight, nine days or so, that Kyrie is going to come back at home with a little bit of a soft landing as opposed to being on the road and maybe certain environments that they would have to deal with, with fans, etc. All right, fine. That's what you want to do. But let's hope that Kyrie will be in the lineup from here on out To see what the Nets could do, because what we saw there a couple nights ago in Sacramento, and I put this on my TikTok feed 153 points in regulation is not only just bad, it's atrocious. I understand that the Knicks a few days prior to that lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder at home 145, 135. So when you want to put that in perspective, if I told the Knicks fan that, hey, you put up 135 points against Oklahoma City today, it's like, oh, wow, we must have blew him out by 30. What was the final? It's like, no, you lost by 10. And that's an abomination to begin with. But for the Nets to go to Sacramento, and this isn't the Sacramento team from 2002 where you had Peja Stojakovic, Chris Webber, Mike Bibby, Vlade Divac, by far. And I understand that they're not a defensive team in the least, even with Ben Simmons back in the lineup. And I know there's been some controversy there with him as far as him missing games, his commitment, players, maybe there's some whispers in the locker room or or within the organization, who knows, but this is what you're getting people. And even with Simmons out there who put up 11 points, which was a season high, if you're going to go crazy about that, then, oh geez, I don't know what to say, net fans or NBA fans, because... His defense in that game, where was it? What was he doing to try to stop the bleeding to where they gave up 153 points in four quarters? I can see if this was double overtime. Overtime, that's still a lot of points. And I had people getting at me to say, oh, well, you never watched basketball in the 80s or 90s. Uh, Sorry, my people. I did watch basketball in the 80s and 90s. And yes, I understand the highest scoring game in the league Denver and Detroit, what was that, I believe in the 85 season, 84-85, 186-184, which was an anomaly back then, because even with the Nuggets as high-flying as they were with Alex English and Kiki Vandeweghe, T.R. Dunn, etc., but don't tell me that I didn't watch basketball in the 80s, because there were high-scoring games in the 80s, absolutely, but guess what? At least those teams played a semblance of defense, and the rules were a lot different to the point where you can hand-check. And the three-point shot wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Where if you're not shooting from behind the arc, and I get it, that a lot of the points are going to come from three-point land, but can people contest the three-point line at least to, for starters? And last that I checked, Sacramento is not the sharp-shooting team in the league. You know, by far they're not the Golden State Warriors of today. And there's certainly not any bomb squad teams, if you want to go back to the 90s or even the 2000s for that matter, or pretty much from the last decade where the three-point shot has become the focal point of the game, 153 points is inexcusable, even in this day and age's NBA. But in the 80s and 90s, that was an anomaly. And yes, you did see some high-scoring games, but very rare did you see scores in the 140s or 150s when you watched basketball four decades ago. I don't want to hear it. But with the league overall, Celtics eight in a row, what could you say? They had the best point differential in the sport. They've just been fantastic here throughout the stretch. And I can understand why Wick Grosbeck and company, the owners of the Celtics, said that if the Nets wanna take the embattered and embittered and disgraced coach Ime Odoka, you could have him for nothing. I guess they like what's going on there with Joe Mazzulla and how the players have responded to him. Jason Tatum, as I mentioned on Monday, is playing like a top five player in the league. And I don't know what else to add there. The Celtics have just been phenomenal here throughout the course of the stretch. And besides that, you had some teams come back down to the pack. The Jazz have now lost three in a row after their torrid start. Same for the Cavaliers and based on what I've read by the coach J.B. Bickerstaff, they had that fat cat mentality early on where I guess they were reading the press clippings and thinking that they belonged as far as being a top upper echelon team in the East. So they got a rude awakening from the basketball gods and say, uh-uh, a season is not nine games, it's times that by nine to where wherever you finish up at the end of that year, if you're lucky enough to make it to the postseason and see what you could do from there, that's where you belong. So, NBA right now, similar to the NHL, pretty much status quo. I know you had the scenario with the Warriors, which I had to bring up, and I thought that was fascinating, just hearing some of the quotes by Steph Curry and even the coach for that matter, and wondering what the mood and the attitude of the team is. And of course, those couple of nuggets on the Brooklyn Nets. But besides that, that's what you have there. And the NHL is pretty much the same. I know the Devils have been torrid, and we talked about them on Monday. They have won 10 games in a row. Is it just them coming out of the gate with this stretch where they've been unstoppable here? And we've seen this with a lot of other teams, whether it was the Vegas Golden Knights who had won nine in a row before they lost over the weekend against St. Louis, or even the Bruins, as we talked about them as well, getting off to their great start, 9-0 at home, 14-2 and to start off their year. And a couple of big winning streaks, including a four-game winning streak currently, as we've seen. NHL, like I said, other than that, it's pretty much been status quo. Not much really to dive into, to dissect when it comes to what's gone on in the ice. I'm sure that'll change, obviously, as we get into the weekend into next week. And now as we turn our attention to the hot stove, yes, the hot stove is starting to percolate a little bit, where the awards have been announced. Here over the last couple of days, where you had Michael Harris Jr., the Braves, and Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners win your NL and AL Rookie of the Year, respectively. Buck Showalter and Tito Francona, Managers of the Year in the NL and AL for the Mets and Guardians. In fact, four times for Buck for him, and that's a great achievement, but as we all know, no World Series ring to boot. And with Francona, this is the third time he's done it. Never in Boston, I might add. He's done it all three times as a member of the Indians slash Guardians. So congratulations to those two. Tonight, you'll have the AL and NL MVP, which we would think it's going to be Aaron Judge for the American League. And in the National League, I would think it's going to be Paul Goldschmidt. He may cancel out because of his teammate, Nolan Arenado, which may mean that Manny Machado could be your NL MVP, but we'll have to wait and see. And then... Last night you had the NL and AL Cy Young Award winners, where Sandy Alcantara from the Marlins, no shock there, was a landslide winner, got all 31st place votes by the Baseball Writers, and the same for a one Justin Verlander, where two years ago was coming off of Tommy John surgery, 18 and four with a 175 ERA. Not only does he win another World Series and finally gets his first World Series victory in Game Five against the Phillies, as we saw just a couple of weeks ago. But then now, takes home another Cy Young, his third, and his illustrious, and of course, will be Hall of Fame career. But now the big story, with Verlander, him becoming a free agent, and word getting out there, that in all likelihood, which will probably conclude his time in Houston, where he's probably going to seek, a three-year, Max Scherzer-like contract, somewhere of, 120 to 130 million dollars, And at 39 years of age, knowing that this will be his last big payday, and why not? Because when you come off of a Cy Young year, even at his age, and with a new arm pretty much, I don't want to say it's bionic to say the least, but he knows he's going to ask for the sun, moon, and stars. It's just a matter of who's going to pay him. Would it be the Dodgers who's looking for pitching? I don't know if he's going to go to LA. I'm sure whomever's going to pay the highest buck, he's probably going to go in that direction, you would think. But who knows whether it'd be the Dodgers, whether it be the Mets would even go to the Yankees if they were offered that type of money considering it's high on annual value but short on years. Now, of course, the Yankees have to worry about Aaron Judge which that's another story but as it is right now, Verlander, it's going to be one of the top teams whether that means he's going to stay in the AL and go to, let's say, Boston or does he, let's say, go to Anaheim does the... Owner and one, Artie Marino, pony up for a team that's going to be in the process of being sold as there were reports, what was it, five, six weeks ago? Your guess is as good as mine. I would think that he's going to sign with a contender, you know that, because it's not as if the Pirates or the Marlins or any other team that's a bottom feeder in the sport, Colorado, they're not going to pony up and come close to what Justin Verlander is going to ask for there may be even a team in the same state would the Texas Rangers throw their hat in the ring to see if they could persuade Verlander to be a part of their team they have the money so that's one team that you can't count out as far as them making a push to procure the newly minted AL Cy Young award and World Series winner And you've had some wheeling and dealing here this week, Tyler Anderson goes to the LA Angels and as I mentioned there just a second ago with Artie Marino, they have to get pitching in the worst way, three years, $39 million, not a big time contract and then for the Dodgers just to let him go, maybe they thought flashing the pen that we're not going to spend or even think about appeasing his contract demands and that's not a lot of money when you think about it three years $39 million if that's what the Angels are going to do fine but they got to do more than that because Tyler Anderson he's a guy that maybe on his best day he's a number two in your rotation but you would think you're paying for his services as a three so you know that they're going to have to go above and beyond to see what they could get to bring in a solid two if not a number one that's where Verlander comes in but who knows if Marino's going to do that then you also had the Yankees signing Anthony Rizzo to a two-year deal. It's a third foreign option, which would total $51 million. But in essence, he's coming back two for 40. And that may bode well in the Aaron Judge sweepstakes because he and Judge are good friends. And you would think that maybe whatever has been discussed behind the scenes between the two it guarantee Judge coming back and fitting himself in pinstripes once again. Absolutely not, but who knows? Maybe there was a scenario where Judge thinks that as long as the Yankees reach this number and based on what Hal Steinbrenner has said and the front office of the Yankees knowing that they want Judge back and they're going to need him back, they're probably going to have to overpay him in the process. But if Rizzo was the one carrot that was dangling in order for Judge to be a part of this team for the next at least seven years moving forward, then who knows? Maybe that's a good sign. But again, that is no guarantee because if the owners of the San Francisco Giants, dare I even say the LA Dodgers, as was rumored a couple weeks ago by putting Mookie Betts as a second baseman to bring in Aaron Judge, who knows? That remains to be seen. But the hot stove is now starting to heat up here a little bit. And you also had a trade where Seattle traded for the Blue Jays outfielder Teoscar Hernandez, which was a good pickup because he's a good stick. Solid player, will certainly enhance their offensive lineup, so we'll see how that shakes down as we still have plenty of time between now and of course spring training, so we need to see what's going to happen here as I mentioned on Monday with the bigger free agents that are out there, the aforementioned Judge, Jacob DeGrom, Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, and those are just the few to name, obviously there are several others. But with Thanksgiving on the horizon, let's see if anything will start to percolate between now and then, as it usually does happen around then. But for certain, yours truly will have the finger on the pulse as to what's going to happen here with the hot stove. And to close out, yes, people, I'm going to go there. The World Cup begins on Sunday. And listen, you're going to get the bare-bones Facts about what's going to take place here Over the course of the next month starting Sunday And as we know The World Cup usually takes place in June I believe it's the first time In the history of the World Cup That it's not taking place in the month of May, June or July Qatar is your host for this tournament And because of the oppressive heat And the summers that take place in that region They moved it to November So This is one that has been almost four and a half years in the making as to who will be the next World Cup champion. Now, one thing for certain you're not going to see is Italy. For the second consecutive time, they did not qualify for the World Cup. And I know I mentioned on my social media feeds that historically, obviously, Italy is a powerhouse. They're always in the mix when it comes to the possibility and the potential of them winning the whole thing. You're not going to see them this time around, again, based on them not qualifying, but when we take a 30,000-foot view of this, and I know USA, who didn't make it the last time in 2018, they're here on this stage at this present moment, and currently, when we look at their odds, they are 100-1, to 1. so if you want to put down 100 shekels for USA to win the whole thing, you'll come out like a fat cat, that's for sure, but... We all know who the powerhouse teams are when it comes to this particular setting. We know it's always going to be Brazil as everybody's going to rally around and I'm sure think that they're going to be the one that's going to come out victorious when it's all said and done. France is your defending champ. They are currently 6-1 to one where Brazil is 4-1. to one. Argentina, as we all know, they're a powerhouse when it comes to this tournament, we know about England, Spain, Germany. Germany's actually 10-1, to 1, and they won the World Cup in 2014. And I understand you can't base it back that far when it comes to... It's not as if you're looking at a team that, let's say, won a Super Bowl two years ago, and now they're back on the stage in the postseason where they can make a run. I get it. But again, a neophyte in this particular field when it comes to the World Cup... And the only thing I could say here is that if there is going to be a dark horse or a team to pick to maybe make a run, and I'm only going to look at this particular faction here between Denmark, Croatia, you could say Portugal, Netherlands, because when we look at the odds, they're at 12 to 1. That's Belgium. Netherlands, Portugal, Denmark 28-1. to Somebody got into my ear to say, hey, choose Denmark as that team to be a dark horse. And again, people, I would pick these names out of a hat. And unless I see a team like Japan or even Canada for that matter, which has pretty much no shot and they're 250-1, to if I pulled their names out of a hat for them to be, even in the discussion, I would have to crumble it and throw it to the side. No offense to those teams or those countries that are representing here in the World Cup. But when I look at the grand scheme of things, I would have to go with the favorites here to win it all. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I think Brazil is going to win a France. I mean, please. That's like picking four one seeds in the NCAA tournament. What fun is that? I'll go with what was been told to me. And again, people, I know I'm not your source when it comes to the World Cup. And I'm going to follow it once it begins. Am I going to watch every game intently? Am I going to be at the edge of my seat? No. But I will pay attention to see which teams make it out of the first round and which ones qualify from their certain bracket, etc. Of course. I'm just not going to bring this up now. And then when we get to that Thursday podcast before the semifinal or the semifinal already be played by then, but before the final that Sunday, and then say, hey, I told you so. No, 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 no. You know me people, I'm going to be as straightforward, as transparent as possible. But with that being said, if I'm going to pick a team that's going to be a dark horse, I'm going to trust the source to say Denmark, so I'm going to pick them. But as far as who's going to win the whole thing, right, it's easy to say Brazil, it's easy to say France, easy to say those teams. You know what, I'm going to go with my dear friend John Irving, who I've known for almost 40 years. And he loves his Tottenham Hotspur team. And of course, he's a guy that when he looks at the World Cup, he's always going to root for England. And listen, that's not much of a long shot here, people. England, they are seven to one to win the whole thing. And they're fourth when we look at the top four teams. So by any means, I'm not going out on a limb. But I'm not going to pick the top three teams. I won't even pick Spain. And Spain, as we all know, they're a powerhouse when it comes to this. So I'm going to pick England to be the team that's going to come out on top here. And again, I'm only basing that on my dear friend who I've known for so long. And right, could I even tell you part of their roster or even who their top player is? I didn't even go deep into the rabbit hole when it comes to rosters. So you got to forgive me, people, but you know that soccer is not my strong point. Okay, I'm just basing this a lot on the team's history. And again, I know I mentioned that about Germany just a second ago, but we know who the powerhouse is of these countries and when they come to this stage who they are now we all know they could lose and they could not even be in a semifinal game let alone a final game but my point is is that we know who the top teams are and it's easy for me to come out and predict oh I think Brazil's gonna win or France or even Argentina or even England for that matter but I'm gonna pick England just based on my allegiance to my dear friend of almost four decades so I'm gonna pick England to be your team to win the World Cup. And I think it's been quite some time since England has won a World Cup. And in fact, they haven't won one in, if I do the math correctly, 56 years. So you know what? Maybe they are due to win one or at least due to get to a final because it's been quite some time since they've done so. And they haven't even been a team that's made it to a semifinal. So even better for me to choose England to win the whole thing because I'm not going to pick Brazil and we saw Brazil get embarrassed in 2014 by Germany if you remember that or no that was in the semifinal game wasn't it in the semifinal game that they got embarrassed and look I'm just going off the top of my head because I remember Brazil was just a team that a lot of people thought that they were going to Blitzkrieg or maybe that was France that one year if I get my teams correctly or is Argentina this is supposed to show you people that this is not my forte this is not my wheelhouse and whatever homework that I've done over the last few weeks has been very minimal and I get it You want to chew me out, people? You can, but I'm going to follow this tournament as we move it along, come this Sunday, and if there's anything big to report as far as upsets or teams not making it past the first 32, then you know that I'll be on top of it. So, that's what we have there. I know a very poor World Cup preview, and I'm going to put that in the heading of the title when it comes to posting this podcast because... That is a tough way to land this plane as I get ready to bid adieu. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for those to stop by to listen to yours truly babble and talk about what's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review just so we could get the word out on this podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. If you want to hit me up on my social media feeds, you could do so on TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. As well as Facebook and Instagram. J Reels won just the number on Twitter. The old fashioned way by email, the J at gmail.com. Please send me a question, comment, suggestion. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy, slash the J Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. It will go 100% to this production, to the upkeep of the website, equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. This is not only the short term, it is my long term future. This is what I want to do full time. And pretty much it is a full time job and I love to do it, but I want to do this as a full time endeavor. Because talking sports, reading, writing, watching, critiquing, Praising thoughts, opinions, analysis on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx and South Beast, the South Center to the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip baby.